This is the Equip Podcast from Cornerstone Church of Ames, a podcast designed to help you live a gospel-fueled and faithful life wherever Jesus has called you. Well, welcome again to the Equip Podcast from Cornerstone Church. My name is Mark Vance. I'm the lead pastor at Cornerstone, and today I want to talk to you about how to read your Bible. Um, Maybe more specifically than that, I want to talk to you about a way of reading a specific part of your Bible, namely um, Old Testament narrative. And kind of the the driver for why I want to talk about this today is because this fall at Cornerstone Church, we're going to be walking through the books of First and Second Samuel, an Old Testament narrative about the time frame in Israel's history where they're transitioning from the chaos of the book of Judges to the United Kingdom under David. And there are specific ways that as we approach the text of First and Second Samuel, we need to be reading that biblical text. One of the keys to reading the Bible faithfully is understanding that the Bible is a book of books. There are all different types of books inside of this one larger anthological compilation book of the Bible. Even within the Old Testament, you have prophetic books that work a certain way. You have literature that is poetic in nature and you know song form in nature in the Psalms. And then you have historical books. In the New Testament, you've got the historical theological biographies of the New Testament Gospels. Well, that's different from the Pauline letters that the Apostle Paul is sending out to the New Testament churches. That's different from the, you know, apocalyptic genre book of Revelation. And so one of the keys to learning to read your Bible faithfully is learning to identify the type of literature you're reading and understand some of the keys to to um, interpreting that and understanding that faithfully. And, and I think that's really important when it comes to narrative because Over 40% of the Bible is narrative form. It's stories, not instructions of commandments or wisdom literature like the Proverbs. Narrative is one of the most important forms. In fact, it's the most common form of writing in the Bible. (coughs) Excuse me there. I've never sneezed on a podcast, so mark that down. Sneeze number one. Hopefully that did not blow your eardrums out in your car. Okay, back on narrative. So, how do you read Old Testament narrative in particular? Well, I'm going to draw on four key, like I, I think they're like observational keys maybe would be the way to put it, um, that you need to be paying attention to in Old Testament narrative. And along the way, I'll try to give you some examples of that from the storyline of First and Second Samuel. These keys, by the way, I am drawing from the work of the Bible Project, on Old Testament narrative. They've got, by the way, on the Bible Project website, some incredible videos, and their podcast does a great job unpacking this. So if you want to go even deeper, go click over to the Bible Project, search those guys out, watch their videos on uh, Old Testament narrative or on First and Second Samuel. They're really, really helpful. But the four keys that they put, put out that I want to kind of unpack on how to understand biblical narrative are plot, character, setting, and gospel patterns. Plot, character, setting, gospel patterns. So, first off, let's talk about plot. And this is the really, I I think the really important point to make here is understand that the book you're reading, take a book like 1 Samuel, every little story, every small story, 
is part of a much bigger storyline of the whole book, and that book is part of a much, much, much bigger storyline of the whole Bible. So, to put it in particular terms, the particular story of David and Goliath that occurs in 1 Samuel chapter 17, that one little story is part of the bigger story of 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel. And so you have to ask the question, not just, what does David and Goliath mean to me in the moment? You need to ask the question, inside of the narrative storyline of the whole of 1 Samuel, what's the point the story of David and Goliath is making? You cannot just read one story, take one principle from it, and say that's part of the entirety of the book. And so let's take David and Goliath, by the way. It's really important to understand where in the storyline of the book of 1 Samuel that one story occurs. Okay, so where is 1 Samuel chapter 17 at inside the overall book? Well, to understand the the plot that's happening right now, you have to first realize that the book of 1 Samuel is about characters. You started with the focus on Samuel and his leadership in Israel in chapters 1 through 7, but chapters 8 to 15 are all about the leadership of Saul. And in chapter 15, we find the ultimate downfall of Saul's leadership, where he refuses to fully devote the Amalekites to destruction the way that God told him to. So Samuel shows up in chapter 15, and he confronts Saul. Saul, to obey God is better than sacrifice. And he says, because you refuse to obey God, God's going to take the kingdom from you. That's 1 Samuel 15. What's 1 Samuel 16? 1 Samuel 16, God tells Samuel to get off his rear and go into Bethlehem and anoint a little shepherd boy, David, a man after God's own heart, to become the next king of Israel. So in 1 Samuel 16, it ends with the anointing oil of God dripping off the head of David. But how do we know that God's blessing is on his anointed king, on David, not Saul? The answer to that is, is David and Goliath, where not Saul, the giant tall king, goes out to fight Goliath, but David, the little shepherd boy with the anointing oil of God on his head, goes out to fight on behalf of God's people, because he, not Saul, is the true king. Goliath, the point of it is not, get courage, because God's with you. The point of it is that God's anointed has the power of God on him. David is the one God chose. Okay, so to understand that storyline, you can't just read the story of Goliath in isolation. You read it as part of the whole story. That's a key for reading Hebrew narrative in particular, is that every small story has a big part to play as a part of a larger story. So when you're reading narrative, pay attention to the plot not just of the little story, but of the whole book. And here, by the way, is the kind of like hack for how I do that, is it's really hard sometimes to see that right in the moment. So to do that, you have to train yourself to read larger uh, chunks of the narrative at one time. It's really hard to get the big idea of a Hebrew narrative reading only one chapter at a time. You have to read like sections, five, six chapters a lot of times. And if that's hard to do, so you got to train yourself to read chunks repeatedly. But secondly, what you can do is take a, this is where a study Bible can really help you out. 
Don't the study Bible, don't worry as much about the notes on the bottom of the page as much as the book introduction at the beginning of each book of the Bible in a study Bible, an ESV study Bible, or a CSB study Bible. These are both excellent tools, and what will happen is they will have a great outline of the message of the book at the beginning, so that what happens is you first pay attention to kind of the map of where you are in the book, the book outline, And then you read the story that you're going to read, you know, for Samuel 17 or the chapter, but you have an eye to where that is inside of the whole of the book. So that's a couple little hacks for how to do that. Pay attention to the plot line of each little story in light of the bigger plot line of the bigger book. That's key for narrative. Second thing you need to understand is how characters are presented in biblical narrative. And in particular, this is one of the things that the Bible Project highlights is we are used to, um, as modern people, reading modern stories. So if you're like me, like I love to read novels. And in novels, often when a main character comes on the scene, the author will describe them in little tiny details. You know, here's what their hair looked like, and it was tussled, and they had glasses on. They were about five foot ten. Here was their stature. Because modern novels, the author generally paints the whole picture out for you in pretty deep levels of detail. That is totally different than the way that a Hebrew narrative works. In a Hebrew narrative, the details they provide about the characters are very sparse. And because of that, every detail that they do highlight, you should be asking a little question. Um, Does this mean something more than I think it might mean? You need to pay attention to the details that are given you. Here's one particular example uh, from 1 Samuel, and it's a, a bit um, it, it's a bit obscure, but, but if you watch this in the book, you're going to see it. Pay attention to uh, how the author describes the height of things or people, like how tall they are in stature. The most obvious comparison to that is Saul. He... No, they have almost no mentions of what Saul looks like. But when Saul is described in 1 Samuel, it says he stood head and shoulders above all the people. He was very tall, tall Saul. But what's he? why does his height matter? Well, what's the next person whose height is mentioned? Well, it's the stature of a little low boy, David who when he shows up to the battlefield in 1 Samuel 17, he can't even fit into Saul's armor because it's way too big for him. Because it's actually the little boy, David, who God is going to use, not the tall, powerful man, Saul. And what happens is that kind of theme, that God will exalt the lowly and he will humble the powerful, that physical kind of detail of height helps us to see an ongoing theme in the book of God exalting the lowly and humbling the proud. That's a, that's a really important little detail. So whenever a Hebrew narrative mentions in-depth descriptions of character, what they look like, or where they're from, you know, like places are really important, where's their hometown, um, you should pay attention to that. Sometimes you're going to find some gold there. The other thing to pay attention to in characters is that most of the time the structure of Hebrew narrative 
is based off of the characters. So one way to understand how the book of 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel, how those books are laid out, is that there are kind of four main divisions. The section of Samuel, literally a lot of the Hebrew rabbis would call this the book of Samuel, which is chapters 1 through 7. The book of Saul, which is 1 Samuel chapters 8 to 15. Then there is a transitional period where it is Saul and David, 1 Samuel 16 to 31, where Saul is still in power but lacking God's anointing, and David is on the run, but the true anointed one of God. And then ultimately the book of David, which is 2 Samuel in its entirety. So even the characters themselves, the people who are mentioned most prominently, are the way you start to understand the storyline in the book. Final note of what you could pay attention to with characters is this, especially pay attention to transitions. So if a book was all about Samuel, and it's going to transition to being all about Saul, where where does that transition happen, and what's going on there? Well, those moments of transition are very, very, very important. So in 1 Samuel, what happens? Well, the transition from Samuel to Saul is that people come to Samuel in 1 Samuel 8, and they say, give us a king in the place of God. We want a physical king to fight for us, not God. That's a really important interlude in the story. The transition from Saul to David begins with Saul's failure to fully devote the Amalekites to destruction. It's First Samuel 15 is so important. So the transition between characters, the hinges, are very important moments. Pay attention there. Okay, so first key to reading narrative, pay attention to the plot, the big plot of the whole book, not just little plot of the story you're reading. Number two, pay attention to the characters. Even the little details that might not seem important to a modern reader are put there intentionally. Pay attention, thirdly, to places. Okay, places are really important, um, in the, especially in the Old Testament. I mean, remember, what is God's initial promise to, uh, what, is, what does he do for Adam and Eve? He, he forms them out of the dust of the Eretz, out of the ground, out of the land. He carves out a land of Eden. When he makes his first promises to Abraham, he's, he promises him land, seed or offspring, and blessing. Abraham, I'm going to give you this place. The dirt under your feet matters, Abraham, right? And places, this is really interesting, generally help to connect the storyline of not just the book, like 1 Samuel, but also like connect 1 Samuel to the whole of the Bible. Okay, so you can see this, for instance, in the Bible. Uh, the first city that is kind of the archetypal city of man's rebellion against God is a place called Babel, Babel, where the babbling of man, kind of like the people's languages are confusion. Now, when does Babylon show back up? Well, it shows back up in the Bible, and every time Babylon shows up, whether it's in Daniel, whether it's the the uh, place of the exile for God's people, or even go to the end of Revelation where Babylon shows back up, every time it symbolizes man in rebellion of God. Okay, what's the key city mentioned in First and Second Samuel? Key place. Well, there's there's a key place called Bethlehem, for instance, that shows up in First Samuel as a place where David lives. That's going to show back up again in the prophet Micah. You. Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are little among all the cities of Judah, out of you is going to come forth a ruler. Bethlehem's going to show back up in the New Testament, right? As the birthplace, not just of King David, but of the king who is even greater than David. Jerusalem. Where, why does this city that we 
ultimately, even in Revelation, we will our destination is Jerusalem, the city of God. Well, we first occur, cross Jerusalem's path, okay? All the way back in Genesis, where Melchizedek shows up, the king of Salem, Jerusalem, okay? And ultimately here, we see the city of David that David wins and takes as the new capital city of God. He means to make a great capital for God there, but it's not the house that God wants to, David to build for him, but David to build for God. So that places become not, it's not just people, but places often that help us to find the structure. So pay attention to places. Be curious about geography. Um, these are very land-based people writing these, these narratives. Okay, so plotline, character, setting, or places, and then here's the fourth thing to pay attention to the narrative, is gospel patterns. Not just patterns that are part of the book of 1 Samuel, but patterns that connect one to the patterns of how God's kingdom works at the macro in the whole of the Bible. In the first message in 1 Samuel, we looked at chapters 1 to 3, and I said you could almost summarize those chapters and even the book of 1 Samuel whole underneath this message that God will humble the proud and he will lift up the humble. God humbles the proud and lifts up the humble. We saw it in humble Hannah. We saw it in the little boy Samuel. We see it in Hannah's prayer that God will exalt those he wants to exalt. He will humble those he wants to humble. And that's going to happen. God's going to lift up Saul, who is a Benjaminite. But ultimately, when Saul exalts himself and refuses to follow God's ways, he'll lift up another lowly man after his heart. God's after that. Those who exalt themselves are always humbled. And that pattern is not just in 1 Samuel. That is a pattern of the way of God's kingdom. Jesus says it. The first are going to be last. The last are going to be first. Then the way of the kingdom, humility, comes before exaltation. Go to the book of James, where James is going to tell you, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. This is a gospel pattern that's not just part of the storyline of Samuel, it's part of the whole Bible. Another way that you can see these is you look at the patterns that lead you to Jesus. Charles Spurgeon used to call these the scarlet threads that run through Scripture, that you can grab onto one of those threads and pull on it, and as you pull it, it will connect the thread all the way to Jesus. So here's one of the thread lines in the whole Bible, for instance, is um, that will show up, by the way, in First uh, and Second Samuel. It's the thread line of the temptation that that everyone will face. Adam faces a great temptation in the garden. And does Adam win or fail? He fails. And his failure has great consequences for God's people. Let's think first Samuel. Saul faces a great temptation. Will he follow God's command and devote? Nope, he won't. And when Saul fails, the people suffer. David at a time when he should be out battling with his men, is up, lifted up on a high place looking down, and he sees Bathsheba. And his failure, what happens after that? David's failure with Bathsheba leads to the destruction in his family, in his kingdom, an insurrection with his son Absalom. So here's the thread line. The thread line is the wages of sin is death. And in particular... One man's failure can lead to deep consequences for the whole of humanity. Romans 5 will say it this way, that one man's sin led to death for us all. Until we meet Jesus, who was a man who was tempted in, in his own garden, 
in his wilderness moment, not a Garden of Eden, but the wilderness, starving, who ultimately, Jesus is the one hero in his moment of temptation in the Bible who doesn't fail, but he succeeds. And just like the failure of every leader affects those who follow them, the success of Jesus, just as sin came into the world through one man and death reigned through sin, now much more will life reign through the free gift of the obedience of Christ. That's Romans 5's logic. That's the temptation and victory pattern. That pattern is part of 1 Samuel. So what you do is you pull on the thread line of a theme and walk it through the whole Bible. That helps you to connect the little story that you might find within Samuel, not only to the storyline of First and Second Samuel, but to the storyline of the Bible. These sort of gospel design patterns are a major feature inside of biblical narrative, inside the Bible as a whole. It's a way the authors of the Bible are tying together the storyline that finds its ultimate fulfillment in Christ. Okay, so we talked about four keys to read when you talk about biblical narrative. Always read the small story and lie the big story. That's plot key. Pay attention to characters, especially the little details that get highlighted that you might think are insignificant. They're not. They're there for reasons most of the time. Pay attention to places, not just people, but places have meaning, not only in that book, but in the story of the Bible. And pay attention to the gospel patterns, the scarlet thread that leads you to connect the dots of 1 Samuel to the storyline of the whole Bible and ultimately leads you to find the fulfillment in Christ. So three keys, by the way, before we go on how you can do that personally. When you're reading 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, any Hebrew biblical narrative, number one, the first key and the single most important key is this. You have to learn how to read bigger chunks of the story at one time. Don't stop with one story. Don't stop with David and Goliath. Read that chunk inside of the larger section of the book that it is in. If you can't read that whole section, you don't have time, always read with an outline of the book on your, in your hand or on your mind, so that you keep in mind where you are in the story. So number one, read big chunks. Number two, always read with the outline of the book in mind. And number three, always read with the gospel storyline in mind. Ask yourself constantly, am I seeing a pattern here that actually is one of those scarlet thread that runs all through the scripture and connects this little story to the bigger story of the Bible that's all about Jesus? Well, I hope that helps you a little bit. Navigating Biblical Narrative. There's wonderful resources out there. Again, check out the Bible Project. But in all of it, get curious. Take and read. The Old Testament narratives are so powerful, so full of stories that should stir our faith and ultimately connect us to a longing for King Jesus. We're going to see in 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel over and over the storyline of Israel and the great kings of her founding, of King David, of King Saul. And here's what you're going to find. In every king, no matter how good, no matter how much David is a man after God's own heart, even the greatest of kings fail. And they leave us longing for an even greater King David to come, one who is the true king over God's people, who will rule us in righteousness, justice, and peace. So, Take up First and Second Samuel. Read it with us this fall as we walk through it at Cornerstone and use the text of Scripture to guide your heart into worship and longing for King Jesus.